Our reading this morning starts in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Why do we light the fourth candle? Let's respond together. The fourth candle reminds us that God demonstrated his love by sending his son, Jesus, to be born in a manger and suffer and die for our sins so we may live forever with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1, 23. Jesus' birth and life physically manifest in a spiritual reality. God wants to be with his people. He created humans with this relationship in mind, breathing his own life into us, creating us in his own image, and placing within us souls so we may commune with him. Throughout history, God has demonstrated his longing to be close to his people. Sin has marred our relationship with him, but Jesus' embodiment shows God's commitment to dwell with his people. With this, in my, with this, this is a mind-blowing thing when you think about it. God himself set aside his brilliance, took on human form, and became one of us. He walked among us, ate, laughed cried, slept, felt tired, angry, happy. He, the creator of the world, became one of the created because he longs to be with us. And he was willing to do whatever it took, even setting aside his glory, humbling himself to the point of death on the cross, just to be with us forever. Amazing love. Today, we light the remaining candles to remind us that God demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus to be born in a manger and suffer and die for our sins so we may live forever with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, last week, uh, David didn't cry, so we had to get him up here again, and uh, he came through for us, so appreciate that, David. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4, will be in verses 9 to 11 this morning. Kids, by the way, up through fifth grade, you are dismissed to go to your classrooms if you like. The rest of you, 1 John chapter 4. If you're looking for 1 John, just basically turn all the way to the end of your Bible and then turn back a couple books and you'll find 1 John. 
As you're turning there, I want to um, just say a special welcome to a couple people. First of all, I see the Whittups are here with us this morning. It's always just a blessing to have one of our missionary partners joining us in worship. Uh, and so we're just so glad to have you guys here. And we're continuing to pray for you as you are, are uh, prayerfully uh, looking for a way to get back to Vanuatu. So we're praying for you guys for sure. And I also wanted to say a welcome to, I met somebody who I felt like I've known for a while. Seth Alexander is here this morning, Tom and Patty Alexander's uh, son and his family. And he's a pastor down in southern Indiana. And uh, he has just been, it's been obviously a weird couple of years for pastors. And he's been a real blessing to me through Facebook and different things, even though we hadn't officially gotten to meet. And so it's so great to have uh, your family here with us as well this morning. Well, this morning we're closing our Advent series called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. We're closing the series talking about love, the love of God demonstrated through the gospel and the love that we're called to have for one another. And here I'm going to give a little teaser right now before we pray, which is that this is probably the weirdest sermon I've ever given. Okay, now you're all like, whoa, you're like, you were kind of out and now you're with me. Like, whoa, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have to wait and see. So please bow your heads with me and I'll pray and then we'll dive into 1 John chapter 4. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, yeah, just what a joy to be together. So we light those candles not just because it's a tradition to do so, but because it's a symbol of the light of the world coming into the world. We light each candle week by week in anticipation of that middle candle being lit, the Christ candle that represents Jesus coming into the world. So yesterday, Lord, we were able to celebrate that. We thank you. We thank you for the, the joys that we all have in being able to celebrate that with family and friends. But Lord, just like has been uh, prayed and said today, Lord, just we ask and pray that our hearts would be drawn to the true reason that we celebrate, which is Jesus Christ and his love for us, Lord. So as we turn to this topic of love this morning, we see it in 1 John chapter 4, we just ask that you would grow our love for you and our love for one another, that it would more accurately reflect that you, the love that you have for us. We ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, Christmas Day has uh, come and gone, and some of you may still have a few family Christmases to attend here and there, but for most, the most part, the Christmas season is coming to a close. We're heading like right on a collision course with the New Year's resolution season, right? And I always think it's funny because like Christmas is the most joyful, wonderful, magical time of year, and then a week later, we've all made such terrible decisions with like the food we ate. We're just like, oh, everything has to change about my life right now, right? We make our New Year's resolutions. I'm definitely in that camp that needs to start making better decisions when it comes to the things I eat, but that can wait until after New Year's and bowl season is come and gone. But, but you know, I've also never really been a big uh, New Year's resolution kind of guy, and I don't think there's anything wrong with making New Year's resolutions. I'm just kind of realistic and know that I'm uh, like the vast majority of people who make them and have a terrible time keeping them. I don't know about you, I'd be curious if you've ever, I've never had a conversation with someone in like September and they were doing something and I asked like, why are you doing that? And they say, well, it's my, it was my New Year's resolution back in January. Like, I don't think I've ever met someone who has actually kept a New Year's resolution for the whole year. Maybe that's you and maybe you tell me about that and I'll, I'll uh, be very impressed with you, but it's certainly not me. So I've never been a big New Year's resolution 
person. And so in light of that fact that we're coming up on New Year's in a week and because of the fact that I'm terrible at keeping my New Year's resolution, the resolutions, the sermon I'm going to give this morning is the anti-New Year's resolution sermon. That's why I said it gets kind of weird. Here's what it's called. It's called How to Have a Miserable 2022. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How to have a miserable 2022. I'm tired of all this like five steps to the best year ever nonsense, right? So we're going to talk about how to have the worst year ever. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What do you want to do if you want to have a terrible near year next year? Admittedly, like I said, there's a weird premise for a sermon, we can all agree, and maybe this is because I was um, writing two sermons this week with Christmas Eve and this, and this was the idea I had, and so we're just going to roll with it and see what happens. So this is it, and I only have two steps for us this morning. So two steps for a miserable 2022, both kind of taken from the principles that we see in 1 John chapter 4. So here's the first step to a miserable year. If you want to be miserable in 2022... Forget the gospel. Forget the gospel. Look at 1 John 4, 9 and 10 with me. It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that's a hard word to say, to be the propitiation for our sins. Here we see four aspects to the gospel here in this passage. Number one, that he came to earth. Jesus came to earth. This is what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, right? The incarnation. Jesus like enfleshed himself. He came to earth as a baby, and we've been talking with wonder about how amazing it is that the Son of God was literally in the womb for nine months. Like he had to have his umbilical cord cut. He had to have diapers changed. It's unthinkable. And he came to earth to be the physical manifestation of the love of God, is what it says in 1 John 4. It was physical. God's love was touchable. It was huggable. You could kiss God's love on the cheek. Jesus, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant when he came to earth. It's the first aspect of the gospel. Here's the second. He gave us life. He gave us life. That's the second aspect we're looking at here. Jesus came so that we could have life through him. Why did we need life? Because we were dead. Because we were dead. Think about that for a second. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Think about like the finality of that. We were dead. It doesn't say we were dying in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. The story of the gospel isn't the story of Jesus coming to, like, to save us right at the last possible second before we died. Jesus came while we were dead. My grandparents have a small lake cottage on a small lake up in northern Michigan. And uh, it's a place that I've gone with my family for many years. And I remember one year when I was probably, I don't remember exactly how, I was maybe between like seven and nine years old. 
we were swimming out there. So there's a, they have a dock and then a raft kind of out towards the middle of the lake. And, and uh, so it was the thing we'd always do. It's just a real small lake, no speedboats or anything. So you just kind of go swim and you swim back and forth between the raft and the dock. And, and like the biggest rite of passage as a child was when you got to take your life jacket off and swim out to the raft without uh, wearing your life jacket. This was like a big deal. And I was the oldest cousin of the cousins who would go up to the lake. So I was the first one who got to do this, to go and swim without my life jacket on. And so it was a pretty big deal. I was becoming a man on this day. And I remember being out there, and I was like, okay. And I asked my parents, yeah, it's time. And they were kind of out, so it's, I don't know, maybe 30 yards, 25, 30 yards between the, the dock and the raft. And they were on the dock, and, my family, and I was out on the raft. And so I took my life jacket off, and I jumped into the water, and I just straight up panicked. I just started panicking. I don't know what happened, you know, and, and so I'm just flailing around and just yelling, help, help, and I just forgot how to swim in that moment. I was a fine swimmer, uh, but I just forgot how to swim in that moment, and so I'm just panicking here for what seemed like forever, and I'll just never forget my Uncle Bill diving into the water and swimming as fast as he could, and he came and he boosted me up, and so I could grab onto the raft, and the water's, you know, 25 or 30 feet deep there and so if I went down I probably wasn't going to come back up and so he came and he boosted me up and I was able to grab onto the raft and I was able to be saved. He was my hero. I don't know if he's watching this morning but thank you Uncle Bill if you're watching. You saved my life that day. But here's the thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't us like flailing around to try to find safety and then Jesus like giving us that one last boost so we can get there. You see that? The gospel is more like if I drowned in that water and I was dead. Water filled my lungs, and I had no more breath, and then Jesus dove down and brought up my body when there was no hope of finding me, and put me on that raft, and brought my dead body back to life. That's the gospel. Jesus came to earth to give dead people life. Why did he do that? Because we loved him, and he wanted to save the people who loved him? No. And that's the third thing we see in this passage. He loved us first. Not only were we dead, but he loved us first. That's verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God's love for us isn't a response to our love for him. He doesn't love us because we loved him first. It's the opposite. We can only love him because he loved us. First, see that right in this verse. We can only know what love is because God first loved us. It's like we sing that song, All I Have is Christ. If He had not loved me first, I would refuse Him still. And this is what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Our sin nature is such that if it were not for God Himself demonstrating His love to us first, we wouldn't even be able to love him or even know what love really is. So what does God's love look like in action? The answer, he sent his son to be the propitiation, I nailed it that time, for our sins. That word propitiation is a big word we don't use very much. 
It just means the means of our forgiveness, the way, the avenue by which we were able to be forgiven. And that's the fourth element of the gospel, which is that he made things right. So I wrote a little gospel poem for you this morning. He came to earth, he gave us life, he loved us first, and he made things right. God sent his son to come to earth as a baby to die on a cross in order to satisfy the wrath of God. That idea of satisfying God's wrath is what's wrapped up in that idea of the propitiation so that those who are in Christ can have life in him. Who does that? What kind of an, a God would choose to rescue a dead people who didn't love him first? What kind of God would be so merciful, so kind, so gracious as to even want to redeem a rebellious people? What kind of God would choose to cleanse all our sin and all our unrighteousness by the blood of his son? An awesome God indeed. Our God. Amen? This is the gospel. It is incredible. This is the greatest news in all the universe. So my advice to you this morning, if you want to have a miserable 2022, is forget all of that. Right? Forget the gospel. There are so many things in this earth that won't bring you peace, that won't bring you joy, that won't bring you comfort, that won't carry you through times of suffering or ground you in times of happiness. The gospel is our only solid rock, so if you want to be miserable this year, forget about it. Don't think about it. Don't meditate on it. Don't let it drive you to worship. God, the enemy wants to accuse you, to tell you you'll never be good enough, to tell you that you'll never be able to be forgiven for all that you've done. That maybe God's sacrifice works for these other people, but it doesn't count for you. That's what the enemy wants to tell you. So believe him. The enemy wants to remind you that your love for God is cold and worthless compared to God's love for you. You should feel guilty about that. He wants to drive you deeper into a spiritual depression because you know you can never do enough to make God happy. Let the enemy take you there. Really let those accusations just sink in deep into your heart and just pierce them and, and just let it shape how, it think, how you think about yourself. Don't remember the truth that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Don't remember that the old has passed away. Don't remember that the new has come. Just completely neglect the greatest news on earth and don't let it shape how you think. Definitely don't listen to sermons that remind you of who you are in Christ. Definitely don't listen to gospel-centered music and let it minister to your heart throughout the week. Forget about like reading any books or anything that might draw your heart closer to God. And for sure, you're going to want to ignore your quiet times. That's a, that's a good key to a miserable 2022. That's a no-brainer. Be still and know that I am God. No thanks. Meditating on Scripture, spending time in prayer. Uh-uh. If you want to be miserable in 2022, you need to make sure that you are having as few encounters with the greatest news in the history of the universe as possible. Sound good? I say no, thank you. <laughs> Boy, I hope none of this gets like cut and taken out of context. You really got to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Moving on. I told you this was a strange one. Here's the second key 
to being miserable in 2022. You should neglect one another. Neglect one another. John says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And earlier in verse 7, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So as Christians, we're commanded not only to love God, but to love one another. So if you want to thrive in the life that God has designed for you in 2022, you'll reflect the love that God has given you in Christ, in the gospel, that will overflow into your relationships in the way that you love one another. If you want to be miserable, you'll forget all that. And you'll neglect your responsibility to love those around you. There's three ways that we can neglect the duty that we have to love one another. Here's the first. Don't come to church. Don't come to church. The church is the bride of Christ gathered together as one united people, regardless of background, one united people to worship together, to encourage each other, to bear each other's burdens, to provide for each other's needs, and to walk alongside one another and minister to each other. Ugh, that sounds awesome. If you want to be miserable in 2022, why would you have any part in all of that? Why would you surround yourself with people who love you, who are also filled with the same Holy Spirit that you have, who want to see you grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord? These people who want to help keep you accountable so that you don't fall into destructive patterns of sin. No, if you want to be miserable, you should avoid that and those people at all costs. There's a church our times of corporate singing are when we raise our voices together every week to remind one another that God is the one who is on the throne, that he's in control. Our times of corporate greeting are when we extend the welcome that we've received from God to those around us. Our times of corporate prayer are when we submit with one voice and one heart all that we are to all that he is. And our times of corporate scripture reading and preaching are what refocus our lives on the hope that we have in the gospel. All of it designed to bring glory to God and to bring attention to his name and to make him increase and ourselves decrease, to put him on the throne and to take ourselves off of it because are we not so prone to want to hop right on that throne, church? So we need that every single week to be reminded that actually God's the one on the throne. And I'm not, because about by Monday, I'm ready to put myself back on that throne again. I don't know about you. We need you at church. Church is not something you can choose to just participate in when you feel like it. It's not a performance. It's a people. It's not something to be consumed. It's a community. It's us. It's all of us. So again, if you really want to see the Lord work in mighty ways in your life in 2022, let me encourage you on this December 26, 2021, to make a commitment to really be a part of that body 
in 2022. Because that's what you were designed for. You were created for biblical community like this. You were created to love others within the context of the local church. Now, I understand we don't always do this perfectly, right? And some of us probably can honestly say, like, I've had a a miserable year in the past primarily because I was part of a local church, right? That can happen sometimes, but that's not the fault of the local church. That's sin that messes up the relationships that we're called to have one another. It's not the problem of what God's word says that we're called to do. God's word telling us to commit to one another in love, in relationship, and walk alongside with each other. That's not the problem. The problem is our sin can get in the way sometimes and make it difficult. But you were created to be in this kind of community. So again, if you want to be miserable next year, don't come to church. And I can see how that sounds like a threat from your pastor. I'm going to make it miserable if you don't come to church. That's not what I'm saying. But truly, you were created for this kind of community. It's not just something you come and sit and watch once a week. Church is the people. Amen? It's all of us. That's the first way we can be miserable in the way that we neglect one another. Don't come to church. Here's the second. Only love those who are easy to love. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And what it doesn't say is, Beloved, you were so easy to love that God just couldn't help but love you. God loved us. God loved me, you feel what the weight of kind of what's behind that? If God loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, let's be honest. There are some people who are easier to love, and there are some people who are more difficult to love. Raise your hand if you have someone in your life who's difficult to love. All right, keep your hand raised if they're sitting next to you. Just kidding, don't do that. Put them down. <laughs> the gospel produces... This beautiful community of people who are united in Christ. A community that crosses cultures, it crosses languages, it crosses the political aisle, it crosses age, it crosses race, it crosses gender, it crosses wealth and status and all of it. It makes everything level at the foot of the cross. A.W. Tozer says, if a hundred pianos are tuned to the same tuning fork... If they're all tuned to the same note, a side benefit is that they're also completely in tune with one another. The point being that if we are in tune with the cross, we'll be united with each other as well, which is beautiful and true. But there's a problem with that, like we just said, a little word called sin, something that creeps in and makes these relationships more difficult. None of us are perfectly in tune with God. None of us is perfectly living as we should. Now, once we get to heaven, we're going to experience that which is going to be amazing. None of us has ever had a relationship not marred by sin. And when we get to heaven, all of our relationships won't be marred by sin. That's incredible. But we're not there yet. We've got to work for it still. We have to be willing to love each other, even when it's hard, even when other people legitimately sin against us. We've got to be willing to forgive, because if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God so forgave us... Church, we ought to forgive one another. We've got to love each other even when we just vehemently disagree about different things. 
Even when somebody just drives us stinking crazy. Again, not that you would have anyone like that in your life. But that's when love really reveals itself, when you've got to work for it. So if you want to be miserable, you'll say it's not worth it, and you'll stick to your small tribe of people that you find easy to love, a tribe that will get smaller and smaller, by the way, the more that you get to know these people, because there's no end to the things that can divide us, and in the end, you'll be standing there all alone. If you want to be miserable next year, only love those who are easy to love. And finally, only love when it doesn't cost you anything. This goes along with the second point. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is most clearly shown to us through the sacrifice of his son. And that's when our love is shown most clearly as well through sacrifice. When it costs something. So if you want to be miserable, if you want to have a terrible year next year, don't commit to the body of Christ that God has placed you in through the local church. Only love people when it's easy, people who look and act and think and live like you, and only lost when it, love when it doesn't cost you anything. Because there's deep meaning and beauty in those relationships that we build that are countercultural. Because they reflect the beauty and diversity of the kingdom of God. We were created to reflect God's beauty and bring glory to God. So if you want to be miserable, stay in your hole with your tribe and neglect the way that you're called to love others. All right, can I let you in on a secret, church? I've been lying to you this whole time. Can you believe that? I don't want you to be miserable in 2022, actually. No. I want this to be a year when you drink deeply, deeply of the goodness of God. When you have a greater sense of his majesty and joy. When you put our sin to death and find joy and satisfaction just in who God is. When your spiritual growth is just out of control. That like, I can't even keep up with all the ways that you're growing in the Lord. I want that. I want to see you thrive in your relationship with the Lord this year. Because you're constantly remembering the gospel. And growing in your knowledge of God, of who he is. we got to know more about who God is. Don't you want to end next year knowing more about our Savior than you do right now? I do. I want to see you thrive in that relationship with the Lord and just be hungry for more of him. I want you to remember the gospel and cling to it every single day. I want you to put on the full armor of God and stand against the attacks of the enemy. I want you to be so filled with joy and peace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and patience and goodness and faithfulness because you remember that God looks at you with all those things. I want you to love one another earnestly from a pure heart means I want you to be a faithful member of a local church. If you're already a member of Rock Prairie Church, I want you to renew your commitment to this body and to remember that this is the people that you're committed to. If you're a regular attender and not yet a member, I want to challenge you to take that step this year and become a member of our church. If you're visiting from out of town, I want to encourage you to renew your commitment to your own church. And if you're a visitor and looking for a church, I want you to discern where the Lord's leading you, wherever that is, and then commit to that body and those people. 
whether it's here or another faithful gospel preaching church. I also want you to love the people who are hard to love. Because that's when the gospel is displayed. When we show the world that we are not constrained by the same things. We don't have to agree on every little thing in order to give up our lives for each other. Because we have Jesus in common. And that's what matters. And finally, I want your love for one another to cost something. Because Jesus' love for you costs everything. Church, don't be miserable next year. Commit to these things. Ask the Lord to reveal where you need to grow. And let's make 2022 a year where God is glorified in us and through us because we understand the gospel and because we love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for one last chance in 2021 to just be together and have our hearts just brought to life by the gospel. Thank you for the ways that your Holy Spirit is moving and working even right now. God, we just ask that you would continue to work. God, that we would be a church moving into the next year and beyond that does these things even more. And we love one another. Let's do that even more. We care for one another. Let's do that even more. We keep each other accountable. We speak the truth in love. We bear one another's burdens. Let's do these things even more, God. But God, we can't do these things just out of our own strength or just because we resolve to do it like a New Year's resolution, God. We can only do it if our hearts are so saturated with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, remind us every single day because we want to put ourselves on the throne. We're prone to wander, Lord. We feel it. Prone to leave leave the God we love. Take our hearts, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal us for thy courts above. And we put you on the throne of our hearts and in this place. May Jesus be glorified. The name above all names. King of kings, Lord of lords. We praise you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond and worship together.